from the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho. It's the Men in Blazers podcast, Rog. From the Men in Blazers World Headquarters. These are the World Headquarters, Rog, in the crap part of Soho. Uh, July 4th. Oh, hope all our listeners had an amazing yes, one. Yes, hope you did. Oh, mine was about, by the looks of things, I think 15% as good as Taylor Swift's, which means it was magnificent. <laughs> 240 years of American wonder, Dave. Yep. And July 5th, mm. as we take one year to the day since the US women won World Cup 2015. Amazing. What's to celebrate in life right now? Do you uh, get into July 4th, Dave? Because I, I don't care about my own birthday. But I find America's very meaningful. There was a great article in The Economist that headlined, For British expats faking American patriotism can be tough. Yeah. I, I don't find it that hard. Well, I mean, this is, uh, I think this is my 27th July 4th in America. Oh, so I've spent, more, I've spent more July 4th in America than I have spent them uh, in England. And over the years, he used to make a lot of jokes at my own expense. I'm going to go and put on a long red coat, and I'm going to go and run around at the bottom of the garden. You can take pot shots at me with muskets. But now I've kind of got into it, because what I like about it is having a day of complete celebration of your country with fireworks let off in beautiful, coordinated... I sort of stood on the top floor of my house out in Bridgehampton, Roger. I could see fireworks in the fields... On the towns, the all around. Below. I loved it. I loved it. No, it's, did you resist? No, I wasn't in my. I wasn't in my them. castle. I wasn't. I, 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 that's other times of the year I go there. No, just on the second floor of my house, Roger. Just a regular, regular two up, two down house. Yeah. And uh, I love watching the fireworks. It's a beautiful day. Oh, I used to get mocked when, by Americans about how I felt about the whole Independence Day thing when I came here. Yeah. And then they all realised that my family were running around being chased by Cossacks <laughs> in the Ukraine when all this went down. So yeah. We, you know, the English thing does not run too yeah. deep. Well, I doubt my family, I mean, the French Huguenots, the Welshies, the Scots, I don't know where any of my family were at that time either. I have to say, having come of age in Liverpool in the 1980s, on a steady diet of Fantasy Island and the Love Boat, Heart to Heart, oh, the Hooters, Ferris Bueller, slices of, of Americana that felt yeah. like they were doled out in Technicolor. The banana splits. Yeah, I was, it made me realise I was living a life lived in black and white, David. Yeah. To have found a way to make it to America and live here, I always say on the show, I've said it many times, that I do wake up every morning and thank God that I live in New York City. Uh-huh. I, I, I thank God I live in the United States. And I realized, it's amazing, the brave troops who battled the English and German forces, Rog and the, and the founding fathers did all this so that you could watch vast quantities of American television in the 1970s and 80s and be moved to move yourself to the United States. I honestly don't think they th- thought for that, David. <laughs> they thought for, so that I could come over here and talk about football to Americans. Yeah. Because that's it, ultimately. They fought a war so that... Football could become the sport of the future really? in America. And it is, uh, that's it, Dave. We're living heady days. That's what I thought about yeah. while the fireworks were going off that I was looking at. Yeah. These are heady days that we're living in just while football is taking off in such a remarkable fashion across the nation. Mm. It's a great day to be alive, Dave. So one of my favorite parts of this July 4th was a Facebook comment by PK Bale. Uh-huh. Sent us his or her all-time USA starting 11. I love it. Okay. Abraham Lincoln in goal. Mm. Burr and Hamilton and Eisenhower, back three. It's Yergi Love-inspired, starting 11. Yeah. Madison at centre midfield. Along? <laughs> Communication's important, David. It's interesting. For interesting. That. So you got uh, okay, interesting, uh, interesting back three. Madison alone. Teammates the, don't have to like each other. In the midfield. Yeah. And then he wrote, Jackson, Reagan, Kennedy, Ford, Jefferson and Clinton, all the strikers. It's a attacking team. <laughs> I think Clinton would be like the Nigel Pearson son of presidential Was that Henry Ford or Gerald Ford up front? I think Henry Ford probably would have played for Germany. Yeah. Maybe Francis Ford Coppola, Rog. We'll we'll never, (sighs) ever know, but sounds like a good squad. Talking of anniversaries, David, we'd be remiss if we didn't know that this week marked 100 years since the start of the Battle of the Somme. Oh, Rog. One of the deadliest battles of the First World War. Began 7.30, 1st of July, 1916. Dark, dark day for Europe, really. Old war tactics, trench warfare, fought with new war armaments, the machine gun, and the soldiers would follow a soccer ball that was kicked over the top of the trench. That's how much English guys love football, David. They follow it over the trench mm. as they charge into no man's land. Battle that lasted 141 days, a million men dead. 
I, I, I think about that battle a lot in service of the country and military futility. I think I've said this on the pod before, but June 1916, my grandfather, Bill James, William James, uh, not the William James, but a William James, uh, graduated from high school and with his entire graduating class of 100, around 100 boys, they all went and signed up. And um, by Christmas, all of them were dead except for my grandfather, which is pretty, it uh, seems pretty remarkable. And yet that was the story across a generation um, a generation of young men. Both of my uh, grandfathers were in that war, actually. The other one was uh, building trenches at Verdun um, because his last name was Davis and everybody assumed he was Welsh. And they stick him in the and Welsh they, they, they put him. They put him in the uh, engineers, assumed he was a miner and stuck him in to go and build the tunnels at Verdun. There's a poem I read this weekend at the Somme, The Song of the Mud, by an American poetess, Mary Borden, early 20th century. She wrote about how many men just drowned in the mud on the battlefield. Oh. Our fine men, our brave, strong young men, our glowing red, shouting, brawny men, slowly, inch by inch, they've gone down into the mud, into its darkness, its thickness, its silence. Yeah, screaming for their mothers. So, so tragic. Thank Rush. God for football, Dave. Yeah, and Volpe Foods. Oh, <laughs> so the two are euphemisms uh, for perfect, each other, really, aren't perfect they? Perfect transition there. I mean, it was seamless, oh. you'd have to say. Uh, Volpe Foods, what have we got in front of us here, Rog? We've got one of the greatest threesomes I've ever been involved in. I think that's called a trio, Rog. It is. It's mortadella, genoa, salami and copa. A lot of you are very worried about our sodium intake. It's very tasty, Rog. Can I just tell you how thrilled I am? We're getting Mm. so many photos of so many of you seeking out Volpe products (laughs) by name. The other thing that's had an incredible push in, in America, and by incredible, I think we've had three people who've tweeted us about it, is that Icelandic drink that we uh, we necked down mm. uh, during celebratory Euro? Yeah, the Brennavin, Rog. Oh, Black Death, yeah. they call it. It's fantastic. It's yeah. Drink to celebrate. Uh-huh. You can drink to forget with Brennavin. You can do both at the same time. Volpi and Brennavin. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the perfect duo. That's also uh, a l- for summer. Good name of an accountant. Yeah, Brennavin and Volpi. Volpi, of course, the Italian word for fox. Rog. Okay, we've got a packed show. We relive all of this weekend's Euro 2016 quarterfinal action, including the 18-player Germano-Italian WTF penalty shootout and France firing the arrows, Rog, that finally sent a valiant Iceland to Valhalla. We break down Josie Mourinho's first official news conference. It was a classic, Rog, instant as Man United manager. He really just played his greatest hits. <laughs> Pretty much. Of Pretty much, I know. And just taking on Arsene Wenger at every opportunity. And NYCFC, Rog, they won their first ever Hudson River derby. Oh, pray for Dax. Yes, well done, John Patrickoff. Okay, to the football. Let's crack open the Guinness, Rog. You've got the uh, Guinness draft. I've got the Guinness blonde. Uh, pouring it out. You're a little bit ahead of me this week. We were perfectly synchronised last week. You've got the taste of summer. I love the taste of summer. I know, and... I like to be another fully piece of mortadella. Another piece of mortadella at my fingertips. Oh, just pop it in my mouth. I might, mm. I might dip it in Guinness. Dip it in a little bit of foam. That's called cross-branding. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm loving Euro 2016, David. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's not the best quality of football at all it, times. It's not. But I've got to say this. Fewer tournaments have provided better, more poetic human stories. Iceland, the images of 20,000 Icelanders gathering Reykjavik to do the Viking clap. Oh, with a sense of collective wonder. Wales. It's all funny until they start rounding up the undesirables, Rog. England, mm. talking about undesirables. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Immortal Germany. And France, la belle France, Dave. I'm yeah. loving every second of it. OK, to the football. Germany won, Italy won. Germany won at 6-5 on penalties. Rog, Saturday in Bordeaux, a battle between two footballing world powers with plenty of previous. Jürgi Löw's side took the lead in the 65th minute when Mesut Ozil put a Jonas Hector pullback past Gigi Buffon. But in the 77th minute, Jerome Boateng attempted to defend an Italian cross by making himself the shape of a starfish, handling the ball in the process. Leonardo Bonucci coolly slotted home the ensuing penalty. Tied at one after 120 minutes. Nobody seems to be able to score an extra time, Rog. The game went into a shootout where it took a total of 18 shooters to decide the game. What a tantalising battle of narrative. Italy Mm. never lost to Germany in a major tournament. Eight-match sequence. Huge core pre-game. From V-neck lover Jurgi Love, benching Julian Draxler, going with a back three, 
a ballsy tactical decision that flew in the face of the misattributed brainy quote. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Flash your mind back to the last Euros, the semi-final, and Jurgi Love made the same sudden tactical switch to three and Italy. And Mario Balotelli, do you remember him? Uh. Shot the Germans 2-1. That memory, David, made me think about Mario Balotelli and how he was feeling as the game kicked off. I imagine it would feel pretty bittersweet mm. and make him reflect on where it's all gone wrong in life for him. Well, but then I realised he's probably too busy setting fireworks off in his bathroom and burning it down to <laughs> uh, give a crap. Uh, see, I was imagining him in a hot tub emerging from under the water in a hot tub. <laughs> I might have given you in that order idea. To, in order to the Puma commercial, although he might have let off the firework when he came out from under the water. Yeah, but then he would have seen a tiny dog yeah. running away with his cleats. <laughs> oh, it was a tactical battle early on, which is to say... It was crap. Not so good yeah, to watch. It was crap. But you're not allowed to say that without sounding that you don't really understand football because mm. it was a tactical, cagey battle. Both teams probed. It's all a bit like watching Deep Blue play chess, full-on artificial intelligence. Italy, without the injured Daniel De Rossi in midfield, were unable to really enforce themselves. They sat back, invited Germany onto them, and the game was really reduced to a stalemate. It was, uh, as AA Ron tweeted us, a bit Mayweather Pacquiao, David. Mm. No, definitely. Teams, both teams played very cautiously and very, very slowly each wanting to take about five or six minutes with each, with each attack, not wanting to be in danger of giving the ball away. And this Italian team, Rog, they really captured my imagination in this tournament, but they just didn't have the individual skill to break down the Germans. Oh, I was bored watching. I mean, the only emotions I really experienced were whenever cameras cut to Yergi Love in close-up. Mm. And I just got so instantly stressed out on his behalf. I was just like, please don't pick anything, Yogi. Please, for the love of God, don't pick anything. He was careful. He was. I, you know what I realised? Yeah. Yogi Love would make a very good TSA agent if mm. the management thing doesn't work out. Really? He can do cavity searches. Yeah. Deep body probes. He can just pick away at orifices to his heart's content. He's kind really, of morning, noon and night. He's really let his hair go. I mean, for a ma- I mean, I, I always find a man with that much hair. He's got such a good head of hair. He's rubbing it in our faces. But he, exactly, exactly. It is, uh, it, there's nothing I find more provocative than a man with hair who's kind of let it all go. Oh, it's so interesting because it was a wily tactical battle in that technical area mm. between... It was like a Beatles convention, a crap <laughs> Beatles convention between him and Antonio Conte. Yeah. One of the great bull deniers in football. Oh, amazing Just stuff. Google what he looked like at the end of his playing career. When he had it coming down the sides, but it was, let's just say, it was like a frayed carpet mm. uh, on top. And he, but he's come back post-op, lustrous. And the two of them were just kind of like German Paul McCartney and Italian Paul McCartney imposters side by side, Dave. Both bored until the 65th minute when the lumbering Mario Gomez made a visionary pass into space to yeah. find the charging Hector. Yeah. That pass was positively Ozil-esque. Hector found Ozil, mm. who finished like Gomez. Yeah. Made a difficult finish look easy. A goal which screamed Freaky Friday yeah. of Verluchter Freitag yeah. in Deutsch. When you said Hector found Ozil, it means that he cannoned it off a defender's uh, foot and it bounced up in the air perfectly for Ozil. Oh, I thought it was gorgeous, gorgeous finish. An opportunist, a poacher's finish uh, by the Arsenal bloke. There was an immediate sense of job done. Mm. I mean, Germany yet to concede a goal in the tournament. Once they scored, it all felt like game over. Yeah. Yeah, out of nowhere with 30 minutes to go. Yeah. Germany blinked. Yeah, what was Jerome Boateng thinking there? I mean, there's a lot of talk about ball to hand, hand to ball, natural positions, unnatural positions. But going up for a header with both arms in the air, as was pointed out to me by one GFOP, looking rather like one of those green inflatable (laughs) things outside of car dealerships. It was just a very, very odd way to defend that uh, cross. I mean, especially from a man who's been, for me, the most impressive defender all tournament. It was just a complete and utter moment of mental breakdown. He went all Pentecostal preacher Julie Andrews in Sound of Music, jumping over Collini with essentially a star jump. Most unseemly use of hands by a German. Since Jurgi Love went for a deep dive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Italian defender Leonardo Bonucci stepped up for the penalty. Yeah. 
Shocking call that they sent him up, David. Yeah, he's never taken a penalty before, but this one, Rog, we'll talk about the other one later, but this one was excellent. Took the stutter in the middle of his, in the middle of his run to the ball, which you're allowed to do. You're not allowed to stutter on the last step. Fantastic, fantastic goal against Noy, one of the best keepers in the world. First penalty he'd ever taken in his professional career. What a courageous yet crazy man, which is what he is. He once famously was looking at a Ferrari dealership with his wife and then baby son. And a masked man appeared out of nowhere, pointed a gun at his head and demanded that he give him his watch immediately. Bonucci refused mm. and instead decided to punch the thief in the head, knocking him to the ground and then chased him as he ran out screaming mm. to jump on a scooter with his accomplice, begging him not to dole out any more mercy. Well, well, he slotted home. Then it was tied one. Another meaningless extra time. I think there's only been one goal scored in extra time in this entire tournament. Uh, Rog, a terrible, terrible extra time. We've got to do something about this, Rog. Our campaign for youth development has got to be quickly followed by a campaign to eliminate extra time. Copa Centenario style, yeah, you definitely. mean? I just felt for Jurgi Love again in the extra time. I mean, the longer that game went on, I just kept thinking about how his orifices must have screamed out, just itch they for They needed relief. a pick. They oh, needed a pick. But he managed to contain himself, as did the 22 players. It went to penalties. Italy having won three of their four last shootouts. Germany, five of six major tournament shootouts. They converted 26 of 28 penalties in the process, including 21 in a row. To me, Germans have always excelled at penalties because they have no feelings, nor human nor emotion. <laughs> but here, Davo, suddenly they have plenty. Who saw this coming? Oh, my word. And the Italians are pretty good at penalty shootouts as well. Uh, Roger, remember that uh, Euro quarterfinal against England? Uh, here, here we had Neuer going against Buffon. Yeah. The equivalent of Uma Thurman and Daryl Hannah clashing in Kill Bill. <laughs> How I salivated, Davo. Yeah. But it quickly turned out to be the most suboptimal penalty shootout yeah. of all time. I mean, misses about as wild as I've ever seen. Over the bar. Creative, though. <laughs> the variety of misses. Yeah. Tapped straight at the goalkeeper with almost no speed. And then the Lipizzana steps coming up. Just bizarre, bizarre stuff. First big narrative piece of flapping skin. Tactical master Conte, mm. soon to be the lord of Stamford Bridge. Yep. Substituted Simon Zaza mm. for Giorgio Collini in that last minute of extra time. Just so Zaza could take a penalty. A penalty that would be the Juventus striker's first touch in the game, which oh. is incredibly hard. You don't get a feel for the ball, the grass, the anything. And poor Zaza, God love him. That is the oddest penalty I've ever he seen. He stepped up to the ball, Michael Flatley, Lord of the Dance Trots. <laughs> I mean, it is a, his approach to the ball, if you haven't seen it, I'd love to see side by side his approach to the penalty and the approach of Diana Ross in the 1994 opening World Cup ceremony. Yeah. Because the result was absolutely the same for both. The ball went miles over the bar. And poor Zaza, he doesn't even have smash hits like chain reaction to fall back on. <laughs> yeah. It was like a Lipizzana pony, Rog. The, the, the <laughs> oddest, the oddest uh, stride into the ball. I mean, it's one thing to miss a penalty in a penalty shootout, but to miss a penalty like that, oh, he'll be remembered forever. If for you that. watch him in his little run-up, yeah. you can see a tiny little trail of poop <laughs> that he leaves behind him. And it wasn't just him. Everything went to crap, Davo. Muller missed. Ozil missed. I'm not sure who love that more, Italians or Spurs fans. Yeah. And Germany, they were match miss for miss by the shattered Italians. Graziano Pelle, I've never seen this before. He cockily pointed to where he was going to shoot the ball yeah. with absolute confidence mm. and then missed his aim horrifically. <laughs> After shooting it right there. And then and, and a penalty technique known as hubris nemesis. And Neuer went the right way as well. <laughs> Neuer was like, why are you telling me where you're putting it? It's amazing stuff. I am glad that both Everton and Chelsea seem to be locked in the transfer battle for Graziano Pelli. He's all yeah. yours. Suddenly, <laughs> it no longer felt they like were watching Italy and Germany in the shootout. Mm. It was like watching the English national team take penalties in training, David. Yeah, exactly. Upstep United's Darmian. Uh. Oh, stepped. He stumbled. It was like watching Sean Penn at the end of Dead Man Walking. Uh -huh. Those bum fluff sideburns that never looked less cool. Uh -huh. And he farted the limpest of penalties into Neuer's grateful midriff. It was like a Harlem Globetrotters Washington <laughs> General's penalty shootout. That was actually such a good idea. We should do that. It's oh, so good. And then your friend, Jonas Hector. Yeah, I love Jonas Hector. Yeah, Raphael Honigstein captured the unlikeliness of him as a hero. Uh -huh. He said, 26-year-old FC Cologne left-back 
has never spent a day in Cringe. Germany's fabled youth academies, never lifted a trophy, never played international football, never taken a penalty in a senior game. His nickname in the dressing room is Schlaubi, after the clever Smurf, because he wears glasses similar to the cartoon character. <laughs> <laughs> He's very popular. Oh, yeah. God, is Schlaubi. That's, so, hil- that's hilarious in the German dressing up room. Up comes Schlaubi. Yeah. And his shot, oh, my God, it agonisingly grazed Buffon's arm mm. and bounced in a game of millimetres, and it shaped two nations' destinies. At Autumn, Win 5 wants to know, was it more impressive that Gigi kept picking the right side of the shots yeah. or disappointing that he didn't make more saves? But he's 74 years old, Roger. Yeah. It's not easy for him to go and do it anymore. Don't mock Grandpa. I regard it as great news. Antonio Conte can, can go back to Stamford Bridge and prepare for government, Roger. Oh, it was certainly a moment of public suffering, though, for Gigi, who'd had a brilliant tournament, age 38, and left the field inconsolable in a flood of Italian tears. 6-5 on penalties, nine rounds, less a penalty shootout played by professional elite footballers, more like watching Shaquille O'Neal shoot free throws in an Italian jersey. Germany missed more penalties, Davo, than they've misfired in all other international tournaments combined, both normal play and shootouts over 40 years. Wow. And they still win. <laughs> and they still win. It's unbelievable. Oh, they're mocking us. But why so poor, David? Why so human? Why suddenly so vulnerable? Well, I mean, it must be mental. These are great footballers. They have great technique. They've practiced taking penalties. They obviously didn't take them that badly in practice or they wouldn't have been selected to go and do it in it. And I do think that there was something collective. There was something uh, that when one team started missing, it applied more pressure for some reason. And they all started. It was endemic. They all started missing. They all started taking crazy penalties. Ben Littleton, the penalty expert, author of 12 Yards, The Art and Psychology of the Perfect Penalty Kicks, who wrote about that art in our newsletter last week, pointed to just the crucible of pressure and how for Germany, the the big misses, Muller, Ozil, Schweine, were by their stars. It was their lower status players who scored, who felt much less pressure, much less expectation than their big kind of marketing giants, all of whom failed. Neuer was asked about the crucible uh, of the penalty shootout afterwards, and he said, it was a war for my nerves. I've never felt such a thing before. And that coming from him really sums it up, David. Yeah, amazing, amazing stuff. And the way the draws worked out, you kind of feel that it's going to be a team on this side of the draw that's going to win it, and it could be game of millimetres. They could end up winning the Euros by millimetres. At the ninth time of asking Germany beat Italy in a tournament, they march or limp on to the semi-final without Mario Gomez who left with injury, without Kadira and probably no Schweinsteiger uh, and Hummels suspended. Who will replace Gomez is going to be a key tactical decision. He is Germany's only true Mm. striker. They have Julian Draxler uh, who can shift into the middle. Thomas Muller or old ages, nostalgia's Lucas Podolski may also step in. Could be Jurgen Klinsmann. Rog could be coming back. We'll see. Uh, France 5, Iceland 2, Sunday Surely at the Stade de France in Saint-Denis. The tournament's lovable underdog bows out, <sighs> Rog, but refuses to go quietly even after France took a 4-0 first half lead. And Olivier Giroud brace and goals from Pogba, Dimitri Pai and Antoine Griezmann. They saw Les Bleus into the semi-finals. Iceland, meanwhile, return to Reykjavik National Heroes. Oh, that Jibby XD summed up the game better than pretty well anybody, Dave. He said, watching France beat Iceland was like watching Clubber Lang beat Rocky Balboa. And we were all Mickey. Oh, just the excitement pre-game, Dave. I've rarely felt that kind of thrill before a team took the field. A a clash between endeavour, collective teamwork, unfathomable belief against richer talent, depth of squad and national mission did turn into a beatdown. But I love the story that captured the joy of Iceland's achievement that came out right before kickoff. The jersey makers could not keep up with demand for the home jersey. Demand had shot up almost 2,000% higher than anticipated Mm. and the huge spike in orders came from Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's amazing, Rog. I guess this is the closest Scotland got to qualifying <laughs> for this Euros and might get to qualifying 
for the World Cup as well. Any enemy of England's yeah. is a friend of ours. Fantastic performance by France, you've got to say. From the moment that Matuidi set up Giroud for that first goal, that amazing headed goal from Pogba, the finish by Griezmann, just looking like the class team of the tournament. Um, critics would say it's because Iceland, you know, they had their great match against England, their great performance in England, they weren't that good. But I think they were good, Rog. And I think France were just spectacular in this game. Oh, from the outset, it was clear that Iceland intended to try and play football, fight fire with fire. And France had no intention of making England's mistake and underestimating yeah. their opponent, which was bad, bad news for the underdogs. For all of their endeavour and good integration, they were never going to be able to out-football this French team, especially with their thin squad, which had not been rotated. The Icelanders have become the first team in Euro history to start the same 11 for five straight games. Heavy, heavy, heavy legs uh, ensued, and the French took advantage. As early as the 12th minute, an exquisite flick from Matuidi, set three, possibly one of the most unlikely of scorers in the Euros, Olivier Giroud, hmm. who with his meaty left foot nutmegged the music video director goalkeeper, 1-0, second, soon come. It was such an Icelandic goal, Davo. Yeah. Off a corner, Pogba finally writing his name onto the score sheet at these Euros with a towering header. They didn't stop. Iceland's defensive high line, which had so confused and stymied England, it was just catnip to the smarter, faster, more confident French team, or Chatnip, as yeah. they say. Their Payet tacked on another 3.7 million to his Real Madrid transfer fee. Griezmann a fourth with the coolest of chips, his tournament-leading fourth goal. He'll be the most lethal striker on the field in the semi-final. At MC Cromwell summed up the first half. He said, this has been like watching a one-legged puffin. I've eaten a one-legged puffin. (laughs) You like like their delicacy. Uh, And some of the things, you're so right about the legs, some of the things that have worked so well for Iceland in this tournament, those long throws just started to not work you know the first man wasn't making the header when they won the first ball nobody could get on the end of the second ball when somebody got onto the end of the second ball it flew over the bar and it just as um a tired team that did unbelievably well in this tournament but couldn't do it oh, i try to make myself believe at half time david that the genius dentist manager jaime hungerson who's now enshrined in my top three dentist managers of all time yeah. i crap you not i had somehow hoped he'd dig deep into his bench and bring on some newly found proctologist striker or mortician midfielder to transform the game in the second half. But it was not to be. The only solace I found in that French first half performance was that it did the impossible. It made the English, who were watching Iceland be absolutely battered, feel even worse. But you've got to credit Iceland, David. That second half performance, they didn't wilt like Mexico against Chile. They never gave in. They charged forward with all their hearts, all their might, hell-bent on extending the memories of all of their fans, ones they knew would last a lifetime. Yeah. I guess I'm torn, Rog. Like every other English fan, I want to pile on England and say how crap England were and uh, draw the inevitable conclusion after this match that, oh, against a real soccer team, uh, you know, they couldn't compete and this is how bad England actually were. But I don't think England were that bad. I don't think that they could respond to them properly. But I think we should give Iceland more credit than this. Certainly the Icelandic papers are doing that, giving them credit for a great performance. I think your explanation makes sense. They tired in this game against France. They hadn't rotated that squad. France certainly had more of a killer instinct uh, to go about it. But I don't think that, I think on another day, Iceland might fight France a little bit closer. Well, you see, I mean, Sigurdsson stabbed home his third goal of the tournament, but then Giroud grabbed a fifth for France. And this is where I do think, as an England fan, you look at it and you're like, wow. That's, by the way, Giroud, 10 goals in nine starts for him since November off a pearl of a Payet cross. But his was the kind of goal Andy Carroll would have scored so right. if he'd been so given right. a plane so ticket. Right. And, I didn't, I mean, and by the way, if we had a player as good as Dimitri Payet to feed the ball to him. Arsenal fans must have felt mixed emotions watching Giroud score. Thrilled to see him so potent. I mean, he made goalkeeper Halderson looked more video music producer than international goalkeeper but Gunners fans they're probably a bit worried that Giroud's using the rest of his allotment for 2016 goals all in a French jersey irrespective it's important to remember French fans were booing this man just a month ago that is football Bjornesson nodded home a late consolation which will allow Germany to note just how poor the French defence is when the ball is crossed into the heart of it 
And then French fans, in the most classy of ways, Dave Owen, you don't say those words together very often, executed a perfect Icelandic oh, clap. Yeah. Oh, the ultimate in footballing respect. Local Icelandic writer at Yersha Sig captured the emotions of a nation. She said, bad news is we lost. The good news is that the people of Vestamanaya are about to get their dentist back. <laughs> That's brilliant, Rog. It is interesting that the cross, which has been so out of vogue, and the, uh, the centre-forward, uh, who is strong in the air, Rog, has been so out of vogue in football. And in this Euros, it's been what the games have been crying out for. It's so true. I mean, against these makeshift defences, Dave, mm-hmm. a very simple football, well-executed, yep. will undo them. Off Iceland go. Rarely have I witnessed an international team play with such honour, nobility, collectivity, joy and belief. Mm. They leave with $15.6 million in prize money, thanks to their odyssey, an epic saga which made us all feel alive and reminded us, or reminded me of everything that's good about football. I do think about the people of Iceland. I've emailed with a lot of the people I spent time with and they all said they all went to France with their children and they have memories now, memories that they savour and will treasure for the rest of their lives. And the way that team kept playing to the end, Dave, only served to reinforce the feeling that although Iceland will not lift the trophy on Sunday, to me, they won Euro 2016. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, Rog, and uh, the other teams who are going to face them in that world qualifying group that kicks off in September are going to be terrified, Rog. There's a Norse proverb I found that sums up this team from the 11th century Viking saga, Hafamal, that we read to each other before we go to bed. Cattle die kinsmen die the self must also die i know one thing which never dies the reputation of each dead man and i I read that and i think about the names of each of the 23 and the two managers and how they'll never be forgotten in their country apparently they got given by the biggest cod liver oil uh, producer in Iceland, 10 yeah. years free of And that's a liver. competitive industry. That is a big Rog. one, Dave. And their, this, their greatest legacy, I think, of this team is going to be that after Euro 2012, everyone wanted to do youth development like Spain. After World Cup 2014, everyone wanted a system like Germany's. And after Euro 2016, on vogue in common parlance now in football circles, people are starting to say, we want to do grassroots youth development just like Iceland. Without a doubt. And it's not just a performance in the tournament, Rog. You've got to also look at their qualification. They beat Holland twice in qualification. They took down England, a team that was fancied pretty heavily going into this tournament and sent one of the best teams they sent to a tournament in a long time. I'm just thinking that it's not over for this Iceland team. And what we could see over the next couple of years could actually blow our minds. I heard from Jaime Helmogusen, the manager after the game, um, who still could only evidence the will to win which had gotten his team so far. He said, I'm a bad loser. It's going to take a day or two for me to realise that this was actually a successful journey. And it was. I mean, less eliminated. I like to think of them as more as boarding a Norse ship, set aflame with a burning torch and sent on a voyage to the realm of the dead. Those scenes when they returned home, thousands doing the Viking clap in downtown Reykjavik. It was like the most incredible king's moot of all time, at Ryleisha tweeted us, what if Welsh teamwork married Icelandic tenacity? That offspring would be named Frankie Haydock. Well done, France, we should say. Delivering under pressure, making the country believe. Quick segue. Best television series I've watched this year. Last week I watched the whole thing. Out of France, The Bureau, Matthew Kasovitz. Oh, it's available on iTunes. Watch it. It's almost as good as Anton Griezmann. Mm. The French now meet the Germans, Dave. And what happens? I think it's going to be unbelievable. I think these German injuries are incredibly significant. And meanwhile, on the French side, no injuries whatsoever. They get N'Golo Kante back as well, uh, Rog. I think the French look fresh. The French look uh, clinical. The French look like they're enjoying playing their football. But the Germans, Rog, are the bloody Germans. And they just have a way of doing it in major tournaments. And my heart says France, which I can't believe my heart is saying. My head says Germany. France has dominated the history between the two teams recently. Six, two and one in their nine meetings, dating back 
1990. Having said that, Germany won the only game which really mattered, that 1-0 yeah. dud that we had to sit through oh, in World awful. Cup 2014. Yeah. But you say France-Germany semi-final, David. What do you think of? You think of World Cups 1982 mm. when the artistes of France yeah. and Michel Platini were mauled by the automatons of Germany. Goalkeeper Schumacher, Google this, YouTube it, demolished oh. the unfortunate, naive Batistón. As I say that, don't you conjure it mentally? Yeah, I know, it was the worst. Oh, it was a one-on-one that left uh, Batistón with spinal cord injuries. And 1986, Germany won again. And Platini mm. told the media he knew he was in trouble at the coin flip when one of the referees wished him good luck <laughs> in German. <laughs> it's going to be an epic clash. Germany light at striker, midfield weakened by suspension and injury. France's defence, though, David, they've barely been tested, but whenever they have, they've kind of appeared weak and vulnerable. They're at home. Yet, the last time Germany faced the host in the semi-final, it was 7-1 against Brazil. Mm-hmm. I will be shocked if Germany doesn't advance. Yes, Rog. Well, the Cinderella team still in this tournament. Uh, <laughs> unbelievable that Iceland have stolen their thunder a little bit. Wales, Rog. <laughs> Hey, the gal, uh, they beat Belgium 3-1. Many people's pre-tournament favourite. Chris Coleman's men deliver an emphatic performance Friday near Lille. After falling behind to a 13th-minute Raja Nangolan pile driver, the Welsh storm back thanks to goals from Ashley Williams, Hal Robson-Keno and substitute Sam Vokes. Men of Harlock, march to glory. Victory is hovering over ye. Oh, at... Foreman tweeted us and summed it up. Suddenly, I believe in dragons. We all do. We all do. I mean, Ian Dark summed this all up best in his post-game when he said, Davo, Wales, they're everything England are not. Yeah, and somehow England managed to beat this team as well, Roger. It's one of the most stunning, uh, indecipherable aspects You'll of this entire tournament. You'll never be able to tournament. take that away from us. We beat the winners of Euro <laughs> 2016. Well the winners potentially of a semi-final game. I just look at Wales. I see a team who are so loose in their preparation, keen to be out amongst the fans at restaurants in public. Compare and contrast that to England's approach. Yeah. I mean, they take tournaments as self-imposed sieges. And for me, Wales is everything that's great about international football. Mm. Summed up by Chris Gunter, who said, seeing grown men 20 yards away from you in tears, that sheer joy is enough for us to motivate us. England doesn't have that. In fact, we've got quite the opposite. And there's an ebullience that just spills out of this Welsh 23. Stories of quiz nights, guitar sing-alongs, and a Galactico, Gareth Bale, who works so hard to make sure he's just one of the lads. Compare and contrast that mm. to Ronaldo, who treats his teammates like King Joffrey treated prostitutes. Yeah, and also their performance, their team spirit, completely gives the lie to the argument that many English fans, many English media people advance is that it's because of the system. It's because of the number of fixtures the English play. It's because of no winter break. It's because of the way they come through the academies. It's because of the competitive nature of the league that they play in. These Wales players all come through the same system. They come through the same system as these English players, and yet they approach this tournament in a completely and utterly different way. And here, this Welsh nation, 3.063 million, it's Iowa-sized, slayed Belgium, a team who entered the game, five to six favourites. Wales were nine to two to win this game. Belgium had a virtual home crowd in Lille, Flanders, just yeah. 30 minutes from Brussels by train, swarming with 150,000 travelling Belgians, both Flemish and Walloon. Mm. Oh, but that national anthem, Dave, I knew Wales were going to win when I watched them sing Henwald Finnadu, Land of My Fathers, thinking about what a collective journey they've experienced, the tragic death of their beloved manager, Gary Speed, a story which I'd encourage all listeners to Google, and the journey they've been on together since, Davo. While they sang that, the camera panned down the starting 11. You could just see the possibility that lay before them if they were to have the game of their lives. Yeah, I can't believe they don't win every single sporting event they uh, take part in after hearing that national anthem, Rog. My word, the way they play between the lines, this Welsh team, the way the defenders cover for each other, the way the defenders intercept the ball from midfield, the way that the midfielders get forward, the way that the forwards drop back and defend. It's just wonderful to watch. I mean, and the way they take a punch on the chin. Nangalan hit the ball so hard. It was just a stunning act of violence which could have slayed a dragon. 
But Wales took the punch on the chin. I mean, a lot of people in America compared how Wales recovered here, how Iceland recovered against the English, and how the United States were unable to bounce back after conceding early to Argentina. I've got to say, to me, it's apples and oranges. England and Belgium are not Argentina. That Argentina pass and move true team Argentina. And the reality is, and here's a truth about international football, and it's one that I think American listeners should draw strength from, the Welsh and the Icelanders have shown at Euro 2016 that a true collective is always going to beat a team of individuals. And that's what saw Wales through here. Belgium may have their vaunted golden generation of players, but they're perhaps football's ultimate team of individuals. And I think we're going to see that in the semi-final, Rog, how important losing an individual is going to be because Aaron Ramsey isn't going to be playing. Um, but yeah, without a doubt, this is a Welsh team that plays as a collective where Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey become uh, part of the team spirit, where they sort of impress you with their dedication to the cause and a strategy that Coleman has really laid out. You are really watching this team play to the way that Coleman wants them to go and play. Chris Coleman, their manager who started so poorly and then transformed the style, made it his style and not the style they played in the past. And that came uh, to roost on the 31st minute from a set piece. Ashley Williams, some doubts about him before the game after coming back from a brutal shoulder injury, but he rose up, nutted it in and ran beaming towards the bench. Made us all feel feelings, mm. mostly because we've never seen Ashley Williams smile. Premier League watchers, yeah. we love him when he grimaces or when he hides his head in shame after a glaring mistake, one of many that he loves to litter throughout the big games of the season. To watch him run towards that bench and jump into Chris Coleman's arm with a smile on his face, David, there's hope for all of us. And then came the moment, Robson Cano, a moment which will be to the Welsh sporting pantheon what the catch, the immaculate reception, or the shot heard around the world are to the American. How Robson Canu, Rog, a player with no contract, he has no team. Just been let go by <laughs> Championship Team Reading. It, that's in the second tier. He has no team in England or Wales for the upcoming, or, or, Mars, or even or Scotland, or even Scotland, or even Rog. Qatar. Going into the upcoming season. Or even he MLS. Executed, he executed a Cruyff turn, Rog. A Cruyff turn setting himself up for a strike, Rog, for the go-ahead goal that sent the defenders all running the wrong way. Unbelievable I mean, stuff. it was a move. Bale floated the ball to a driving Aaron Ramsey. Yes, Arsenal fans, Aaron bloody Ramsey mm. took it on his toe and charged and then chipped it onwards towards Robson Cano. I mean, what followed... Best described in the words of Robbie Savage, the Welsh BBC analyst, who said afterwards, if Messi did that, send one defender for a cup of tea, another for a cup of coffee, another for a pie. Woof. He never finished the sentence, but he didn't have to. Canu was suddenly alone and he rifled the ball home and made an entire nation feel, oh, well, Timothy, Mozgov feelings, David. Mm. From this point on, Cruyff turn will forever be known by millennials. Just as the Robson Canuta. Yeah, amazing stuff. And then, Rog, Sam Vokes scores a third. Wonderful cross from Chris Gunter. Uh, Sam Vokes rises and <laughs> hits it home, Rog. And scenes. Cue shots of Vonson company looking on miserably and impotently from the stands as his team went down without him on the field. The shot uh, we've become so accustomed yeah. to watching Manchester City over the course of last season. It's amazing watching Belgium go down. I mean, they could offer so little. Mm. International football coaches, by and large, not as sharp as club coaches. There's really two types, the kind of ageing tactician uh, and the young man motivator. Wilmots is neither. All of the talent at his disposal. And Belgium, far less, far less than the sum of their parts. The best they could try and summon was moving Fellaini up front, pinging balls at him with his big blonde hair, making him look like a slightly more scary Phil Spector. Um, holy crap, they turned into LVG era United. And at the end, oh, David, the joy in that heart, that overhead shot, that Amazing. beautiful, beautiful shot. Feelings that international football can give you, club football never can. It was an amazing performance. This felt like a terrible matchup for Belgium. But I'm waiting to find out what the great matchup for this amazing collection of individuals actually is. You've made the point <laughs> a lot that they're trying to unite a team of 
uh, Flemish speakers, a team of Walloon, uh, and they just don't play cohesively as a team at any point. And they lack that player in the middle of the park, it feels to me. Yes, they've got amazing guys, Kevin De Bruyne, but they just, when the time really comes, you just struggle to see who is that player in the middle of the park who's just going to take the game by the scruff of the neck and just boss it. De Bruyne and Hazard were just playing too far ahead, leaving Witzel um, and Nangalen just too much space to cover yeah. in front of their defence. It just nothing gelled. And you watch the Wales team celebrate together a 23-er playing for something so much bigger than themselves, their next contract, their own career art. They are playing for their nation, their history, their people. They're playing so that when a Welsh citizen travels around the world, they never again need to explain what or where Wales is. And that was it, Dave. Evil does not always win. It's a victory that's a testament to spirit, collectivity, togetherness. I've got to say, watching Wales, it makes you experience football with the joy and naive wonder that you felt when you were a child. At Brian Stryker tweeted us and said, I don't get why the United Kingdom doesn't play as a joint team. <laughs> you could just field the whole Welsh team and maybe one or possibly two English players. They'd be very good. We're more likely to play with Switzerland and Norway as teams <laughs> who've negotiated special deals with the European Union, Rog, at this point. How far can this team go, David? Well, I think they can beat Portugal in the semi-final. Are they good enough to beat uh, France or Germany, um, Germany, I'm not sure. But I think Wales play fantastic football. My biggest fear for Wales is the absence of Aaron Ramsey. You're right, this is a collective performance. It's collective team spirit. But to, to get to a semi-final of a major tournament, you do need some outstanding individuals. It's a Gareth rule, David. Oh. UEFA two yellow cards in five games rule. It means neither Ben Davis at the back. Yeah, and agree no with relation. Most crucially, was. Aaron Ramsey, also no relation won't be able to play in Wales' most important game of all time. Yeah. And Ramsey will be replaced in name, yet not tactically, as he was everywhere against Belgium. Oh, 2004 Greece, Dave, were 150 to 1 before the tournament began. They then ran the tournament with their defending and ability to grab 1-0 wins off headers, set pieces. The quarters where everyone expected them to be eliminated, but suddenly they were all the way into the final. Please, God. So feels Wales. In fact, I imagine everyone is psyched about the prospect of two great players clashing in this semi-final. Ronaldo uh. and Robson Cano. <laughs> <laughs> or Ronaldo and Gareth Bale. Everyone apart from Ronaldo. We were joking about him. We imagined him watching this game in a loincloth, in his penthouse suite, in Being the team hotel. by his eunuchs. Yeah, wearing that leopard skin loincloth with a dead leopard at his feet with a loincloth-sized hole in its skin. Mm. And he's just, I imagine him clicking off the TV when they went 3-1 up Wales and getting a serving eunuch to rub his temples and grease his body down with the lights off to try and forestall an impending migraine. Can I just say that the problem with that accumulation yellow card rule is it benefits the teams who accumulate more yellow cards earlier in the tournament. It actually benefits teams who behave worse over teams who behave better. And it is also the same rule that applies in the FIFA World Cup, Rog. Get your yellow cards in early, you mean? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. That's, what it, that's, what, that's exactly what it rewards. Get your yellow cards in early. Miss an easier game in the last 16 or in the uh, quarterfinal so that you're all fresh and ready for the semifinal. It is. It's, it's, it's the unintended consequence of that rule. OK, Rog, Poland won, Portugal won. Portugal win 5-3 in the penalty shootout after yet another scoreless extra time, Rog. After taking the lead just 100 seconds into the game... Through Robert Lewandowski, Poland concedes in the 33rd minute to 18-year-old Renato Sanchez Thursday in Marseille. After both teams spent the remainder of the game looking very Europa League-y, Portugal hit all five penalties. And shockingly, Ronaldo kept his shirt on, Rog. Well, he did because he wasn't the star, David. The star was 18-year-old Renato, Mm. Portuguese Pulisic, who propelled his team forward whilst Ronaldo just whiffed, frowned, Fired free kicks at the wall. 41 free kick attempts he's had at major tournaments without scoring. Yep. It's honestly like watching mm. Charlie Brown step up to take a field goal with Lucy holding at this point. Mm. This was a grim game. If Charlie Brown had better leg muscles. I think he's got beautiful quads, Charlie yeah. Brown, David. Yeah, he's all glute. He's my top 10 underrated. <laughs> um, oh, it's a grim game. Portugal are in the semi-final of Euro 2016 without actually winning a match in regulation. Mm. 
nor have they come close to putting together coherent 90 minutes of team football, mm-hmm. yet they're one step away from the Euro finals. I guess the one positive that is that they've done it without Ronaldo playing anything but subpar football. Yeah. And there's a feeling that if he can summon a performance which is Ronaldo-like... Light. Yeah, they suffer <laughs> for Ronaldo-like at this point. This team can write their own fortune. Yeah, absolutely. Rog, Poland started the game well. They were athletic. They looked large. They looked physical. Uh, but they couldn't sustain it for the entire game. And they seemed to tire incredibly against the Portuguese. Semi-final, the odds are Portugal 6-5. to five. Wales is 3-1 to one to win. Wales has a 1-2 and two record all-time against Portugal. Mm. How do you handicap it? <sighs> if Wales had Ramsey, I'd have Wales as favourites. Without Aaron Ramsey, you know, who's had more touches... Uh, more completed passes, more assists, more um, created more goal-scoring opportunities than any other player on the Welsh team. Um, without him, I feel like Portugal are just going to have ultimately too much experience and too much quality for them, Roger, I'm sad to say. I read a great piece, an interview of one of Leicester City's performance psychologists, Ken Way, before the Iceland game. Um, and I think it holds true for the Welsh. Uh, he was asked for any advice uh, that he'd learnt from Leicester's season. And he said, don't start dreaming, because as soon as you do that, you're thinking about the consequences of the result and you will be in dark, huh. dark trouble. And it reminded me, I just remember the US in 2010 when they had that delirious group stage experience under Bob Bradley. But the moment I knew they were going to lose to Ghana was the second Bill Clinton walked into the locker room when they qualified huh. to drink buds with Carlos Bocanegra. Yeah. And it was like the footballers were shocked he was there. They suddenly realized the whole world was watching. Yeah. And they were like a high-wire tightrope walker who suddenly yeah. looked down. And looked down they did. They fell to Ghana at the next opportunity. If Wales don't look down, I believe they can do this, David. Yeah. Germany-Wales final. Who you got? <laughs> God, I'd love that to be Wales. Rog, semi-finals begin Wednesday with Portugal versus Wales, 3 p.m. Eastern time in Lyon. And Thursday, France and Germany will collide, literally, at the Stade Velodrome in Marseille. We're going to be on Vice Sports immediately following both of the semi-finals at 5 p.m. Eastern time. We're going That's to be Volpe-powered. On Wednesday and Thursday. And we'll be on again after the final at 5 p.m. on Sunday. Oh, we've got to have a quick word on England, David. Mm. The players returned home to face a nation's vitriol. Yeah. One scathing attack on the pampered nature of the players after another. National uproar after it was discovered the players had personalised headdress on the plane. Oh. How dare they? That's what undermines their football. That Raheem Sterling has had the temerity to buy his mother a mansion. Oh. Oh. And that Daniel Sturridge wears cologne on his football jersey because he likes the way it smells. Mm. That's what makes them crap at football, David. Although my favourite football story regarding England and the open managerial role, a job I believe, I hope not even Bob Bradley would crave, Mm. is that... Not even even Steve Bruce craves it, Roger. (laughs) Is that J-Dubs and Lexi tweeted some old photoshops that we'd done towards the end of the 2014 World Cup ones in which we put Miguel Herrera's head on top of Roy Hodgson's body so he's in an England tracksuit. That track would be amazing. Demanding Miguel Herrera become the next England manager. And such are the workings of modern-day football, David, that within 24 hours of us tweeting them, poor Miguel Herrera had to address the issue of whether he was lobbying for the England job or not. He said, I have not called anyone. There are already many rumours. I am quiet and I will continue working here at Zolos. <laughs> We're sorry, Miguel. We are so, so sorry. But having said that, you're exactly what I think England would need. By the way, anyone who wants to be England manager should look at Roy Hodgson's final press conference. Yeah. Which he had to give the day after he was bloody fired. He wasn't even manager anymore and they made him face the press. Daniel Taylor captured the complete pathos in The Guardian. I'm very war. I'm very fragile, Hodgson said. His three top buttons were undone. He spent 10 minutes clawing the top of his hand as if troubled by a nervous tick. His first words were confused and defensive. I don't know why I'm here. Hodgson looked as if he would rather be anywhere else. He was grey, perspiring, broken. His fingernails were bitten to the quick. I don't remember Roberto Martinez holding a major conference when he left Everton, he complained. (sighs) Who would want that job, Who do you think will take the job, Rog? Who do you think it's going to be? I think it might be Marge from accounting. (laughs) 
even even Gareth Southgate has said he's not going to be the FA stooge and go in for a year until they try and recruit a bigger manager. I mean, the one I find to be the most hilarious is just Jurgen Klinsmann. Yeah. And how the English media are just embracing that, running off the fumes of World Cup 2014 and the counter uh, reaction from the American press. <laughs> Take him. And just how craven... <laughs> Um, a football machination it is that yeah. just as he's about to go and sit down with Senegalati on his yeah. iron throne, yeah. suddenly at the risk of losing. Iron, I think it's made of gold. It's not an iron <laughs> throne, Roger. It's definitely golden. Sunil's throne, so, iron, sudden, never. Suddenly he's creating opportunity. He may go completely. They, he would never. Jurgen Klinsmann is too smart to ever want the England job. Yeah. God, I still have no idea. It's going to be so interesting to see uh, who ends up who taking do you, who do you think that job. I don't know. I mean, I think after Chris Coleman's success with Wales, this is a guy who, you know, managed lower level clubs in England, never got an opportunity at one of the big clubs. I could see an argument for a Steve Bruce. Uh, I could see an argument for a young manager like Eddie Howe. I know that will break your heart, Rog, because you want to see him at Everton. It will also destroy him Yeah, as a human being. Here's who I'd seriously like to do the job. Michael Sheen. (laughs) (laughs) Playing a part of somebody else. Yes, convincing. He could play the part of a convincing England manager. I think it's exactly what we need. It's creative. It's avant-garde. It's a winning strategy. Uh, As you know, I'll always be positive. I still think, and I really do hope, England still have a lot of very good younger players. Marcus Ratchford, Eric Dyer, who we should note. Jack Harrison. We should know about Eric Dyer that he was apparently very unwell during the first half of that game against Iceland, which explains so weren't we all? his first half performance. <laughs> and so, yeah, we were all puking, Eric. Um, and so I think there are a lot of good young players, and I think there are some managers who would want that job. And let's face it, the FA overpay. I think Roy Hodgson was making, reporter was making 4.8 million. I don't know if that was uh, sterling or dollars, uh, Rog, but it, either way, it was a lot of money. Actually, it might be more money in dollars. And also, not worth it. Um, Okay, in Premier League news, Jose Mourinho held his first official news conference as Manchester United manager. Just looked weird to me, Rog. Too much red. Just hours before this pod was recorded, among the topics, United summer signings, where he'll play Wayne Rooney, and of course, Arsene Wenger. Well, they've signed Armenian goal-scoring midfield wonder Henrik Mkhitaryan from oh, Dortmund. Wow. Who, it should be said, announced the deal with one of the saltiest press releases of all time. Mm. They said, after intensive discussions, Dortmund have complied to the wish of the Armenian national team member to join the fifth-placed English team, <laughs> Manchester United. Borussia Dortmund wishes Mkhitaryan all the best for the coming season in both the Premier League and in the UEFA Europa League. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, but that press conference talking about Salty, I mean, step up, first opportunity, a dozen digs at Louis van Gaal. Yeah. I was never very good hiding behind philosophies. Mm-hmm. And at Arsene Wenger, who he talked about vaguely. Other managers Some haven't managers won. haven't won in 10 years. <sighs> He's not joined United alone, though, Davo. Manchester, welcome to Zlatan. <laughs> yeah, because that's the way round. It actually is. We're in a different dimension at this point. We are Zlatan's hashtag. Yeah. Hashtag I am coming suggests few clubs are going to have more egos <laughs> to balance next season, including that of their manager, Dave. I mean, 302 career goals, 484 league games for Zlatan, 38 goals in league earn last season. Only Luis Suarez scored more in the big leagues but will he be any good in the Premier League? Oh I think he's going to be a fantastic Premier League player. I mean he's old Rod saw him play uh, live this season he's still so physically strong he's still so fast he still has uh, so much skill I think he will do fantastically against uh, Premier League defences. You see I think the question is good at what because United are obsessed with increasing their commercial footprint. Mm. And for that alone, it's worth paying a 34-year-old striker a reported $265,000 a week. But a day after Manchester City unveiled Pep Guardiola, the style hero to all balls, who promised to, quote, kick Manchester City players up the arse if they under-deliver, then did the most important thing any Manchester-based manager can do, which is have his first ever dinner at Wings. Mm. The true value of Zlatan, Dave, who I think is going to score a lot early on, but then find the football harder, the space tighter, the endurance of a full English season much more exhausting than the flimsy French league, is going to be in narrative terms. Uh, at Jim Shreds tweeted us, the scriptwriter's drama is intriguing. Jose hates Pep. 
Zlatan hates Pep. Now Pep needs to find the player that openly hates Jose. And you think about the English Premier League mm. next season. Pep, Jose, Zlatan, Conte, Arson, poor Arson, Klopp, Jamie and Rebecca Vardy, yeah. Big Sam and Steve Bruce. It's just going to be the greatest telenovela of all time. <laughs> it's only to us that Steve Bruce is included uh, and Big Sam is included within that group. No, it's going to be amazing, uh, Rog. I'm salivating. I'm salivating at the thought of it. You know, I'd like to think that Slatan still has a lot to uh, prove uh, to an English audience. It feels like the British have never quite taken to Slatan. They've never quite seen him at his best. They've never quite understood uh, everything about the man. I think he's going to be incredible. I love the idea of what a young player like Marcus Rashford is going to learn uh, from him. And that's the impact of a lot of these players who come later in their career. Gianfranco Zola trained a whole, um, a whole sort of uh, generation of young Chelsea professionals. Hopefully, Zlatan can turn them all into nightmares, Rog, but as well, uh, better football players. Oh, sorry, Arsenal fans. We almost forgot to mention your signing of 21-year-old Japanese striker Takumo Asano <laughs> from the J-League club. Sanfreki Hiroshima. He could be amazing. Seismic. Okay, Rog, in MLS. A big weekend for football here in New York with NYCFC beating New York Red Bulls, Rog. Surely that's a No, it it says right here, 2-0, Rog, behind goals from 19-year-old Jack Harrison and David Veer. It's the blue half of New York's first Hudson River Derby win (sighs) in five attempts. The win vaults them to the top, the toppity top, 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 Rog, of the Eastern Conference. New York City FC won their first New York derby after a winless streak that stretched right back all the way to 1776. No, 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 Rog. It was uh, to the 2015 season. The 2015 season. That was when Jack Harrison was born. Mm. And he was particularly impressive in this game. Say the countdown to his eligibility to play for the United States has now begun. Yeah. In earnest, he's English-born. I think he was born in Stoke. Yeah. Grew up in Bolton. Yeah. Moved to the U.S. when he was 14. Mm-hmm. He's been talking about a potential future with the U.S. national team. I have loved the Telegraph wrote a piece today saying he should play for England already. Mm-hmm. Just say, give that man a green card. He can have mine. And the reason <laughs> he moved to the States, I find fascinating. He was a yeah. Manchester United Youth Academy kid. Uh, and why move flies in the counter of all the talk of American talent moving to Europe. He said, we were looking for a different path. My mum was worried about my education. She wanted me to go somewhere. So I had something to fall back on if I got injured or something went wrong mm. in his career. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think Ruben Loftus-Cheeks' parents were uh, thinking about the same thing down at Chelsea, Rog. Uh, amazing uh, goal, amazing finish, amazing win for NYCFC and suddenly this team who were sort of the jokes of MLS last season uh, Rog suddenly looking very very good a lot more football to play though there this season Dave some of it involving Tim Howard yeah who made his first start in MLS since 2003 in a Colorado Rapids 0-0 July 4th draw Mm. with Portland great stat the only MLS player with a longer span between starts is Marcus Hanneman, another hmm. ex-Everton player. 1999 to 2013 was his gap. Welcome back, Tim Howard. OK, your weekend looks like this, courtesy of Mini USA. Saturday at 1pm Eastern Time, the US Women's National Team take on Seth Ifrika in an Olympic tune-up game. The game from Chicago Soldier Field kicks off at 1pm on Fox Sports 1 at 3pm Eastern Time Saturday in MLS. Seattle Sounders host LA Galaxy on ESPN and 3pm Eastern Time Sunday on ESPN. The Euro 2016 final followed, we apologise, by our final Euro 2016 vice show. Except actually we don't apologise that it's the final one. Also, David, yeah. we've had the joy of making a tiny, tiny show mm. that goes on the front of EA Sports FIFA. Yeah. And we're going to be previewing the Seattle LA game on that. Oh. I'm telling you that both because we love doing it, but yeah. also in case your children play FIFA, <laughs> you should keep them well away from our crap. Okay, very good. There are many ways to connect to us. One is through our Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going. Anytime you go on Amazon for items big or small, just click off the Emporium page. Men in Blazers gets a tiny percentage that allows us to cover the cost of creating the show. What are you going to put in the Emporium this week, Rog? A book! I've been reading a bit too much about the Holocaust recently. Oh, really? Yeah. Define, some, <laughs> define a bit too much. Uh, enough that my wife uh, ordered me to diversify. Uh-huh. She suggested I pick up a novel. 
Okay. So I did. Yeah. Underground yeah. Airlines. Is that a novel about the Holocaust? No. Okay. No, no, it's a crazy ball thriller by Ben H. Winters, which imagines a United States mm. where the Civil War never happened and slavery continues in four states. Mm. And the narrator is a former slave turned bounty hunter who tracks down escaped slaves in the present day. It's a terrifying premise and one that looks at race in this country and the legacy and scar tissue of history. Uh, Rog, I've got a brand new barbecue, brand new uh, grill. And uh, because it's new and I'm very proud of it, I'm trying to keep it very, very clean. Oh, the effort I'm going to. My, do my arms look a little bit pumped up today? It's because I've been cleaning my grill so hard. With Volpe meats? No, with the wire brush I use instead of Volpe. Maybe I should try Volpe meats. But I use the wire brush to go and clean it. I soak overnight and then I get up in the morning and I go and uh, try and wipe them off. But I'm worried then not only about the grill top, I'm worried about everything that goes on below the grill top, on top of the grill. And so I've just ordered the Grillaholics grill mat. There's a lifetime guarantee. You get two non-stick barbecue grilling mats. They are 15 and three quarters by 13 inches. And I believe what you do is you put them under the grate on top of all the stuff that makes the heat happen, Rog, and it keeps it all clean. Other ways to connect to us, you can watch every episode of Men in Blazers Euro 2000 and Copa on vicesports.com. Just click on the tab at the top that says Men in Blazers. As we mentioned, we're on Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday this week, 5 p.m. Just Eastern one more week of Volpe foods. You can visit meninblazers.com to sign up for our newsletter, which we produce with our partner Guinness. We've got a new issue going out this Friday in which we'll preview the Euro 2016 final. You can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davies, at Rog Bennett, on Instagram at Men in Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davies, on Facebook, Men in Blazers. You can send your ravens to the crap part of so. You can always email us at menandblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk Rog. War pig. Hmm, maybe not anymore. Who wants to sex Matumbo? Explosion. Courage. Take that, Gloria. Is that your analysis? To see a sucker. Abrogado rock on, mate. Kung Fu fight in America and Afram Island. <laughs> love you, Rog. Do you love me as much as you love Volpe food products? Mm, yeah. <laughs>